The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Heavenly Father, gracious Lord, I come to you and I ask you that now, by grace, by a miracle of grace, you would come and do a work in our hearts and lives to somehow, in a little way, free us from the notion that we must be carried to heaven on a bed of flowery ease. Free us from the notion that the battle, the cause, the mission is someone else's and not our own. Lord, remind us by grace this morning through this word, through my feeble words, remind us by grace that you came on a mission and have called us to it as well. God, I pray almost for the impossible that you would change our church somehow in this few minutes. Lord, act, please. Send your spirit to run through here. Inhabit our hearts. Teach us, guide us, change us. Set us apart, Lord, for your service. This is appropriate and good and right and wonderful and happy for us. So do it, I pray. In Christ's name and for His glory. Amen. My prayer for this morning, as I just prayed and as I have been praying, is that as we look at John 17, that you would come to understand something more about God's cosmic mission. I don't aim just for education, because you probably already intellectually know quite a bit about God's cosmic mission. I aim that you understand it in here, that something grab you in here and you get gripped in such a way that you see it and engage with it and never let go of it, never turn back. God is up to something. And in a sense, it has already been accomplished, but is underway and still going on. He is about something here in the world. He has done something grand in you if you're a Christian, and He is doing something grand in this world through you if you're a Christian. I hope, my prayer is that you would give yourself to it. You would see something this morning, that you would become more thoroughly enrolled in a tremendous cause that stretches from the inner reaches, just the inner corners of your heart out through this room, across this globe, into the far corners of the universe. God is up to something. Tragically, though, most of us manage to live most of our lives as if we didn't know that. That has to change. That must change in our church in your life in my life too I'm with you there Jesus prays towards that change this morning in John chapter 17 
As we've been moving through the book of John last week, we concluded Jesus' last major teaching section. Began back in chapter 13, the Last Supper, and moved on for these several chapters, and he concluded that teaching, and now he's closing in prayer. Determined to love his own, all the way to the end, he now loves them by praying for them, praying for you. So what we're going to look at this morning is that prayer, and as we walk through it, we're going to see how it points us towards this cosmic mission that Christ is engaged in and that we must be too. Let me read the whole of John 17. It's one prayer. It's kind of long, but I think I need to read the whole thing together because it is one section. John chapter 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world, Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, 
Even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The passage begins with very little setup. Jesus just finishes his teaching and moves right into prayer. Closes off the last several chapters of the teaching. And in fact, there are so many connections between this prayer and the whole of the book of John. It really is kind of a conclusion to the whole book. And to treat it exhaustively would be to preach the book of John again. So I'm not going to do that this morning. Rather, I'm going to pass back through the prayer here. And notice the major petitions. Kind of skip across the top and notice the major petitions. What it is that Jesus actually prays for. And then after that, I'll draw back a little bit and look at the big picture and draw out some overarching themes. And as we do that, that's what's going to begin to point us towards the cosmic mission. So first we note here that Jesus is praying. And when it's Jesus praying, we have to keep in mind who Jesus actually is. Because if you just read only this, it might look like Jesus is just simply a mere man praying to God, just like you and I. And you'd be half right. We've seen throughout the whole book, beginning in the very beginning, the very first verse, that Jesus is, in fact, man. He is fully, submissively human, dependent on God the Father to act and to move in his life and through him in the world. And so just like the perfect man that he is, he prays and expresses that dependence and says, God, please act here in these ways. We should do that too. So he is half perfectly man, but he's also perfectly, fully, sovereignly God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and God was the Word. So this is God, and to use Jesus' own words, Jesus always prays in Jesus' name. Always. So whatever he asks is right. Whatever he asks for gets done. So he's asking God to act knowing that it will happen. Both of those things together. This is being done, it has been done, it is being done, it will be done depending on which point of history you look at these things. Jesus is praying. And he begins by saying, Father, the hour has come. It's the hour of the cross. He kind of lumps together the crucifixion and the resurrection, the ascension. He kind of puts all those things together into one big thing there and says, Father, it's here, the time has arrived, now. Carry me through it, glorify me to your glory. Father, carry me through the cross. Exalt me, lift me up, glorify me, take me back home to the place of glory that I've held in eternity past. And as you do that, Lord, glorify yourself. Show yourself to be the one who delivers the righteous. Show yourself to be just in punishing sin. Show yourself to be be righteous, to deliver all of those who follow after you and all those who will follow after me who will trust in me. Show yourself to be wise in planning this kind of salvation. Lift me up, verse 5. Put me back in the place of glory that I originally held. In so doing, glorify yourself. That's what he prays there in the beginning. And then in 6, 7, and 8, it's a summary of several steps in this plan of salvation. A summary of the things that have happened. Back in verse 2, he said that he was going to give life to those whom the Father has given him to give them eternal life. And then in 6, 7, 8, we see how they actually do receive life. They receive it. They believe. They trust. They are saved. And then in verse 9, he turns again to petitioning. 
Not for the world in general, but for the Father's own within the world. There's a subset of people there that he's praying for. Just like back in chapter 6. There's a group within the big group. These are the ones he's praying for. And what he asks for them, middle verse 11, Holy Father, keep them in your name. That name which was given to Jesus to make known. What he means by the name there is the being of God, the, the essence of God. He says to Jesus, Jesus, make me known to them. He did that. Now Jesus prays, keep them with you. Keep them in you, Father. Well, I was here. I did that. But now, Lord, I'm leaving. Will you come and will you keep them close to you? So we see a bit of a progression here. Talks about giving them life. Talks about them believing and receiving. And now them being kept in that faith. There's a little bit of a progression growing there. And then 17, sanctify them. Literally, set them apart from something or set them apart to something. Either way. He's emphasizing the the setting apart. We'll talk a little more about this later. Set them apart from the world, Lord. Keep them. Keep them safe. Make them different. In verse 20, the focus changes. Like it can sometimes in prayer. You know, you can pray sometimes or help Sally with this and help Bill with that. In fact, help everybody. That's kind of how he changes it. So we see that up till now, he's just been praying for his 11 disciples. and Now he expands it to include all of those who would believe. The effect is that it includes you. It puts you in this prayer. He, he, Jesus realizes, I'm going to give life to more than just these 11. More than just these 11 are going to believe. I want you to keep more than just these 11. I want you to change more than just these ones. I want you to save and keep all of them, Lord, and draw them all together to be one, just like you and I are. There's a a wonderful unity in the Trinity, and he prays that in the very same way there would be a wonderful unity in God's family here on earth, a reflection of what God is like seen here in the world. That's what he hopes for. When that kind of unity is seen amidst a fallen and broken world where relationships are so frequently troubled, it'll be a testimony that the gospel is true. And then he finally concludes with asking them, Lord, asking for them, Lord, bring them into my presence so that they can be with me forever and ever, seeing me, beholding my glory. That's the end, the great big end. So as the progression throughout this whole prayer, he talks about saving them, giving them life, them believing, them being kept, them being changed, them being put into a group that's one and then at the very end, them being in his presence forever. You see the, the flow through that. Now, again, there are many things that could be talked about here. I'm not going to do everything that could be done with this passage. I'm going to look at these requests from an angle that helps highlight God's mission. Helps you see what God is up to and then prayerfully will help you come to embrace it. It's my aim this morning. So I'm going to be skipping over and assuming a lot of things. And if you're visiting here this morning, you might wonder what that means or what this is about and why I skipped that. If if I skip something you want to talk about, come talk to me later. I'd love to talk. But my main goal this morning is that God's cosmic mission would be understood by you and embraced by you. And towards that end, there are three overarching points we need to look at. Let's look at the first one. This first point, 
when it's observed, should fill you with gratitude and stir up in you more and more and more faith. Here it is. God pours out grace onto his church. God pours out grace. That's how he deals with you if you are a Christian. If you're in his church, he lavishes grace on you. Pours it down on you like rain. Like a flood. Like sugar being kneaded into a dough. Sweetness after sweetness after sweetness worked into this. Never too much. That's how God deals with His people. Think about how much grace shines out in this prayer. It shot through with it. This is a prayer about what God the Father and God the Son have done for you, are doing in you, and will do for you. God doing for you. Grace. You are saved by grace. Not by anything that you did. Not by anything that there's any merit in. He recounts how this happened in roughly the first third of the prayer. Father, is a people, His own. Those that He possesses. The technical term is the elect. He has a people that He intends to save. And He gives them to the Son. Several times it says, yours they were, verse 6. They are yours, verse 9. And he gives them to the Son and says, Son, give these ones eternal life. Get it done. Does Jesus fail? No. He saves. He gives life. I have authority to do everything I want, and I want to do God's will to give these ones life. To make known the Father to them. To manifest His name. To know, to be in relationship with to connect to at the heart level. I make that happen. I pull away the blinders on people and they see God. And that's eternal life. Stretched across the whole world, across all of time, there are a people from every tongue, tribe, and nation that God intends to save by grace. And it happens. Give eternal life to all whom I give to you. It happens. At which point the Apostle Paul would erupt to the praise of His glorious grace. To the praise of His glorious grace. May your heart go there. To the praise of your glorious grace, God. Not by any smidgen of merit in me, but by grace you saved me. Hallelujah. Grace like rain falling down on me. Sure, people have to believe. Of course. And you look through 6, 7, 8, they do believe. They do receive. And the command to you today, if you don't believe, is believe and be saved. And if you do, know that it is because the Father gave you to the Son and He graced you by opening your eyes. And if today you believe it's because in responses to the Son's prayers, He has kept you in that faith. Kept you by grace. Verses 11, He saves by grace, He preserves by grace. God's work. The greatest threat that you and I face, if you're a Christian here, the greatest threat you and I face has nothing at all to do with your body. Nothing at all to do with your wallet. Nothing at all to do with your reputation, with your status. 
It has everything to do with your soul. That's the greatest threat, the greatest danger. You walk around in a hostile world with an enemy, the evil one, it says, who seeks to destroy your soul. Now, your body too, maybe, but your soul is what he's after. Can that happen to you? Can it? Well, in your own strength, relying on your own power to continue to believe, relying on your own wisdom to sift out truth and error, sure can happen. It would happen to you. Thank God. By saving grace and by preserving grace, He does not leave you to your own so-called power. He has given you His Word and His Spirit by grace. He works to drive the Word into you to make it sweet on your lips like honey to make it the treasure of your heart, to illumine you about truth. God's grace does that in you. And it keeps you from error. Keeps you fastened tight to the name. Does it keep you from all ungodliness, from all sin, from all temptation? No. But every true Christian is kept by grace from spiritual shipwreck. Hallelujah. Grace falling down on you. And furthermore, He lavishes grace upon us to change us, to make us more like Him. Changes us by conforming us more and more in here to His image. To pull us away from desires, activities that are following after the world and to change us over here to to desire and to follow after the ways of Christ. He sets us apart, sanctifies, if you will. And then He joins us together into one body. Teaching us to be humble with one another and to love one another. To consider the needs of others before our own. To tell the truth about God here in our relationships. I could preach a whole sermon about oneness. A whole sermon about being sanctified, a whole sermon about being preserved, a whole sermon about being saved, sermons, sermon series about those things. Not this morning, though. The point is to just touch on these things and have them remind you of lots of stuff you already know. And to cause you to think about those and to look at it and see, God lavishes me in grace. He pours it out. It flows down. God the Father has answered God the Son's prayers and graced me and graced me and graced me more than I can imagine. About to move on to the second point here, but pause here and worship to the praise of His glorious grace. Where would you be without it? Lost. In danger of being lost. Just as nasty as you used to be. Constantly in fights and quarrels. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. A wretch like me, like you. Amazing grace that taught my heart to sing. Grace that brought me safe thus far, kept me. Grace will take me home. God has poured out, is pouring out, and will pour out still more grace on you, His people. Worship Him. 
And now, standing in that grace, don't leave that, standing in that grace, keep listening and see if there's something that you need to repent of. Here's the second point. And if this clicks for you, this is where I pray almost the impossible, that it would change you. If it clicks for you and you get it, this will begin to move you towards mission. God pours grace upon His church, especially for the sake of those who are not yet in the church, but are outside. Do you get that? You know that. Do you get it? We are given grace. We are given grace, especially for them. Consider Psalm 67, verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and cause His face to shine upon us, verse 2, so that we can be grace, so that we can be blessed, and so that we can be shown upon. Is that what it says? Grace us so that we can be graced. Not what the Hebrew says. Though admittedly, it seems that many English translations read that way. What it actually says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and cause His face to shine upon us that Your way may be known in the earth. Your saving power among all nations. May the peoples praise You. Those ones. May they praise You. May all the peoples praise You. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. May God grace us and bless us that they may be glad. See the connection? This is saving gladness, saving praise, saving joy because God blessed us. Did you hear that in John 17? Catch it hinted at in verses 11 to 15. Why do we need to be protected in the first place? Because we're being left here. He could just take us. That would solve a lot of problems. But he does not intend that, and he specifically says so. I don't want you to take them out. I want you to leave them here, but protect them while they're here. They've got something to do. There's a hint of that there. If you think back into John 15 and 16, you see it explicitly there about how we are to declare the glories of Jesus. You see it hinted at there, though, and it gets more clear in verses 17 to 19. Now follow this. It talks about us being sanctified there and Jesus being consecrated. You might have a footnote that says it's actually the same word. We'll be helped in understanding this if we move to the generic definition of that word, set apart. This is the grace that sets us apart to change. What's he up to with this grace? to think for a moment about it as set apart. Because if we read sanctify, we too often only think about us being grown in holiness, about us in our fight against sin. And we narrow down the scope here. It means something more than that. It means that, but it means more than that. And we know that for two reasons in this passage. One, 17 and 19 talk about us being sanctified, and right in the middle is 18, which is not unrelated. It's in there in the middle for a reason. What's 18 about? Look at it. About us being sent. Like Jesus was sent. Jesus didn't come here on vacation. 
He was sent with a mission. Send them in the same way, Lord. And then around it, sanctify them. So our first clue is that verse 18 is in there, and it's talking about us being sent on a mission. And the second clue is the parallel with Jesus. Because if, it's only talk, if sanctify is only talking about us being changed in holiness, we have got a problem with the parallel because Jesus doesn't need to be changed in holiness. Jesus doesn't need to grow in His perfection. He is holy. He's not working sin out. Using the same word. Here's, here's what it means. Let me use the word set apart to kind of help make it a little more clear. I, says Jesus, have been set apart. I've set myself apart so that they could be set apart. I was sent here on a mission. Send them too. I was sent on a mission and I have consecrated myself to it. I have dedicated myself to it so that they also can be set apart and sent on a mission. I come to the cross so that I can peel away their sinful nature's slavery so that they can be changed and sent out as well. Now, Father, do it. Sanctify them. Set them apart by the truth. Do you follow that? Father, by the Word, by the truth, renew them. Change them in here. They're stuck over here by nature following after a certain set of fleshly passions and desires and methods. Set them apart from that, Lord. There's the holiness aspect. Set them apart from that. And that can happen because of what I've done on the cross. Set them apart from that and send them on a mission. My mission. Just like you sent me, send them now. That's why I'm leaving them in the world. But I want them to be good ambassadors. I want them to be effective truth-tellers. Not speaking one thing with their mouths and lying with their lives. So set them apart from what they're like now, Lord. And set them apart to a mission. I hope that's clear. can't say anything else about that. He's concerned about others. He wants us sent to them and prepared to go to them. So he prays, do that by the word in them, Lord. And others show up again then in verses 20 to 23. How good and precious it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. It is sweet. It's a precious thing. But is the unity of the body purely for the body's sake? So that we can have a nice holy huddle that we enjoy. A place of shelter amidst the storm that's out there. Middle of verse 21. So that the world may believe that you sent me. 23. That they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me. The grace that produces and perfects oneness is so that those out there will see the truth of the gospel. Do you get that? Yes, it has blessing for us, countless blessings for us, but it is explicitly, twice, so that they will know. Grace poured on us is especially for them. Now, you and I, we're not just cogs in a machine. God doesn't care about us, He's using us to reach them. Them is us and us is them. He loves all of us. He chased you down somehow or another, and He's chasing them down through us. 
The point is that he means to use us. What I'm talking about here, if it would get you, it would change how you think about the Christian life. When he saved you, he enrolled a soldier, a servant, not a spectator. That's his purpose. We need to live with that, an outward focus. Seeing and thinking about those who are not here. May this grab you. This is the miracle that I pray for, that it would grab you right now. I could give you three things to do. I don't usually think like that, and I don't want to do that because I think it would actually be dangerous for you because then you could check them off and be done. I don't want to make it that easy. The change has to happen in here. That you would say, I am alive on planet earth, saved. Especially, not only, but especially for them. And God's mission in them. You would begin to think like that. That it would be a passion that grabs you. So that when you walk out of here and you get in your car and you drive to lunch this afternoon right after church and the first non-Christian you actually encounter says, what would you like, ma'am? You're not only thinking, omelet, do I want ham or sausage? But you're thinking, omelet, do I want ham or sausage? And who is this person? Does this person know Christ? Probably not. What can I do so that this person would come to know Christ. It's just a, it's a waitress or a waiter. So I don't know what you can do in that brief encounter. But the point is, if you've been changed, you're going to think about it. Maybe it's in what you say. Maybe it's in how you tip. They hear your conversation, know you're Christians, and you stiff them. What does that say? A hundred things. But you leave the restaurant and you go home and you get out of your car and are you like me? I often want to get inside as quickly as I can because I'm tired when I get home. But your neighbor's in the yard. Are you thinking when you get out of the car, my neighbor who does not know Christ is in the yard. What can I do to help that person meet Christ? Or are you thinking, oh boy, I need to avoid this conversation and get inside and get, get going with the rest of my day. If you've been gripped by this and changed, you'll see it as an opportunity. And you'll pray all the time for more of them to arise. Now, I don't know, that may not mean that you share the gospel with your neighbor right then, but it means that you'll talk and you'll be looking for openings and you'll be praying for openings to show up because you are thinking, I'm still breathing on the earth, saved, perhaps because of that guy. I don't know if God's going to give him life. It's not mine to sort that out. I endure everything, like Paul says, for the sake of the elect, but I have no idea who the elect are. So I talk to everybody. I pray for everybody. I talk to all kinds of people, even people they don't really like. Because I'm thinking my purpose here is especially for them. May that grip you. I don't know what else to say. May it grip you. May you see God's mission is to seek and save the lost. Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. Join me. Please. 
It's what he's about. And this ends, this mission ends, this is a weak word, but it's the only word that I have. It ends in an awesome place. That is a weak word for what I'm going to try to describe in the next couple minutes. But it ends in an awesome place. It's the third truth that you need to keep in mind as you walk day in, day out, moment, moment by moment, moment. You need to keep this in mind. Third point. Ultimately, the grace of God is poured out so as to bring all of His children, all of His children, into the joy of His glory. Ultimately, the grace of God is poured out to bring all of His people into the joy of His glory. Grace is working to save His own, and when it's all over, what is that like? Us, basking in joy as we see Christ's glory. Verse 24, Father, I desire, it is my wish, and it happens because of who He's praying. Who's praying? It is my wish that those whom You have given to Me may be with Me where I am, to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the beginning of time. Father, I know your love for me, the love within the Trinity from before the beginning of time, before anything existed at all. The love within the Trinity is a never-ending explosion of delight and affection. The Father and the Son and the Spirit, the triune God, loves God. God's not idolatry. He loves Himself above all things. And He loves Himself perfectly and fabulously and strongly. And Jesus knows that. He banks on it. Father, because of the love that You have had, I prayed in verse 1 and 5 that You would restore me back up to that place that I held for eternity past before I humbled myself and took on this flesh body. I held this place of honor and glory. Put me back in it. And I know you will because of your love for me. Why? Because I'm an egomaniac? Why? Because it's proper? No, so that you can look at it. Father, put me back in my place of glory so that my people can see me like that. Forever and ever and ever. And ever and ever and ever. Glory. For you. That's how he loves you. That is how He loves you. Loves you now, gives you glimpses of that now, maybe even at this moment, and will love you forever by showing it to you in living color. No longer in black and white, through a glass dimly, face to face. May you see that. Vast and wide and long and high and deep and immeasurable is His love for you. His giving of Himself to you so that you can see Him. May that grip you. And that Jesus says to you, I want all of my family, your brothers and sisters, though you don't know them yet, all of you to enjoy that. Join me in finding them. I'll keep you safe. I'll change you. I'll do it. It's my grace. I'll be at work in you. Come. 
It's His mission, His cosmic agenda to save His people and bring them to Himself, to be with them forever. Glorifying Himself and delighting your heart at the same time. Embrace it. Lay down your life. Love one another sacrificially. Even if you don't know who one another is yet. Sacrificially go looking for them. Let me pray. Holy Father, You are a prayer-hearing and prayer-answering God. You heard and You have answered, You are answering, and You will answer perfectly Jesus' prayer. To save Your own, to keep Your own, to change Your own, to bring Your own into the joy of Your glory. I give You thanks for that. And now, Father, I pray, would You so work in our hearts that You would draw us to this and make our church an outward-looking church. Do that miracle, I pray, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.